0: Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode.
1: The FBI has been counting the number of citizens who stop underage shootings. I don't know exactly how they count this statistic, but they do evidently count it.
2: Well, not underage shootings.
1: I'm sorry. What did I say?
2: You said underage shootings, but it's just mass shootings or active shooters.
1: Yeah, I don't know what an underage shooting would even be. The, the phone was ringing and that distracted me <laughs> yeah. a bit. So, they, But they count the number of shootings that there are in the United States. And they count how many armed citizens put a stop to those mass shootings. And they've been undercounting. Maybe that's where the underage thing came from. They've been undercounting how often American citizens who are armed put a stop to mass shootings. Well, when that
3: happens, you rarely even hear about it. You do. You you only hear about like the school shootings where it was very you know tragic and a bunch of people died. You never hear about a good story where someone came into a store or something with ill intentions to shoot a bunch of people and they were stopped. You never hear about that.
2: Speaking of that, um, about Uvalde, did you guys hear that um, there was a cop that was on camera? The the camera just came out or the video just came out of that cop saying. Yeah, my kid's in preschool. He's not old enough. So if my kid was in there, there's no way I would have stayed outside.
3: <gasps> oh my gosh. But yeah, nobody else's kids matter. Yep. That's terrible.
2: It's really and terrible. Even
3: like the video of the cop on his phone, like playing games. I, I don't know. Anyone in their right mind, especially if they're a police officer and they're supposed to be protecting the public, anyone in their right minds, even a civilian, would, would try to stop it. And I not just... only
2: did they. Not really helped trying to stop it, but they also actively stopped parents who wouldn't have said, you know, didn't want to stay outside. Like that guy said he wouldn't have stayed outside if his kid was in there. They actively stopped parents from going inside. They they tried
3: to, I mean, they at least detained that one parent who tried to rush in. And then after they detained her, once she was free from police custody, she ran around the back and broke in and saved her children. People shouldn't have to do that. You should be able to trust the police, but... As we have seen on numerous occasions, you can't trust the police.
1: No, the police are, I mean, they're always investigating, first of all. So you can't trust them in individual interactions that you may have with them. But that aside, you can't trust them to actually go out there and do what's right because they have no obligation to protect, first of all. And this has been well established by Supreme Courts throughout the United States, I mean, at the state level and I think at the federal level. I know at least at the state level... For many reasons I would not become a police officer, but even if police officers were actually doing good things and they were known to be moral, upstanding people, and you know, it was all they did was keep people safe from violent aggressors, I wouldn't I, I, I think we should hold police responsible for intervening when someone's life is in, in danger like that and I wouldn't enter that field. Just like I wouldn't become a firefighter and all of this other stuff. So very good points there. I, I don't have a good solution, though. I don't know that if if a police officer actually had to put their life on the line in order to you know do their job, would there even be police officers?
2: I think there'd be some, but just not yeah. a lot. I, I mean, mean, people joined the military yeah. and firefighters, like you said.
3: Yeah, I'm sure there are are some police officers out there who have genuine intentions and really did join the force to help people and are, you know, very selfless people. But I think those I think the numbers of police officers that are like that are dwindling nowadays. I think it's gotten really bad. And I think a lot of the police officers who had that mentality and who were more interested in serving the public over whatever their police force or whatever the government those people are getting fired.
1: Yeah, they, they they certainly are. It's amazing to me how much the understanding of police officers and just this entire system has changed over the years. And democracy and the, the Republican government, they all seem to be sort of to blame for this, but it used to be well known that the king raised taxes not to pay for your roads or whatever, it, w- it was to pay for his armies and to make himself richer and all of that stuff. But somewhere along the way, humanity forgot that. And we bought into this mythology that we pay taxes because the king will take care of us. The king is going to give us public schools and all of this other stuff. And sure, the the king does that, but that's just being done to placate us. And it's extremely Terrible service. It's absolutely awful quality. The school system is the worst public school I mean, it's the worst education system. I think if you tried to come up with a worse way of educating children, you wouldn't be able to do it. One in six adults feel stressed the moment they wake up. And I can't imagine living that way. Yeah. I do
3: not feel stressed when I wake up. Sometimes, you know, the only thing I will say if I have to do something in the morning, sometimes I'll like wake up in a panic, like, oh my gosh, I'm late. Mm, yep. But that's really the only thing. That's and, true.
1: And I mean, that's different, right? And once you orient yourself and you realize that you're not, I mean, once you yeah. wake up completely and you realize that you're not late, that goes away. Yeah. But I don't think that's what they're talking about here. They say the majority of us wake up feeling stressed. The majority. What? that's not well, what one they, in
3: six wouldn't be the majority right it, it, it would not hope, be is my the math majority. incorrect here
1: <laughs> no one in six adults feel stressed the moment they wake up and they immediately then say the majority of us wake up feeling stressed I don't and I don't I, I don't whatever <laughs> I don't think they know how math works <laughs> anyway and take an average of 33 minutes before finally feeling human according to a new survey now I wake up. I wouldn't say I feel human, whatever that means when I first wake up, but it's, I'm not stressed. I'm just, I have sleep apnea. So when I wake up, I want to go back to sleep. I don't feel rested. I'm groggy. I'm usually some degree of irritated. I just want to be left alone. I just want to lay there and be left to suffer in existence for another half hour to an hour or so. So, But that's I'm not stressed when I'm doing I'm just like, God, I can't believe I'm... Am I still alive? Why is this still happening? Respondents agree that brushing their teeth, eating breakfast, and downing a cup of coffee are an absolute must-do within the first 60 minutes. Well,
2: for me, it's not downing a cup of coffee. Like, oh, I just need to drink this to make me wake up. But I just have to have the ritual. Like, I have to. If Ian is talking to me a lot before I drink my coffee, like, I'm always just, like, rude... And it's, it's like, I, I know what they mean by not feeling human until you're, like, 30 minutes have passed at least. But for me, it's usually, like, an hour. If, if I have to rush out the door to go do a thing and I don't get to drink my, like, sit there and drink my coffee, I'm just, like, it throws off my whole day.
3: Well, and wouldn't you say you enjoy your cup of coffee? Like, yeah. you enjoy that time, not, like, oh, I have to chug this coffee because, you know, I have to do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I think... If I worked
2: day shift, I probably would wake up stressed. I don't get anything done if it's nighttime. I don't like being a- alive during the nighttime, and it's, it's just never changed. It doesn't matter that now it's been like over a year of me staying up way later than I ever have before I met Ian. It doesn't change how I feel about it. Like I, I think people are naturally like a morning per- person or night person. And even if you're ha- you're forced to change your schedule, it just doesn't change. Like, I'm just tired the whole night. All I can do is, like, sit around.
1: I think you're correct. I mean, some people, it takes all types, right? Some some people are morning people. Some people are afternoon people. Some are evening people. And some are even, you know, graveyard shift people. I, I was never able to do graveyard. I always felt tired anytime <laughs> I had to do it. Just something about... Sleeping entirely during the day and then being awake all all night, it just it didn't sit well with me. And by the same token, neither does being on a day shift schedule where I have to wake up at you know, 6 o'clock or whatever ungodly hour and be in bed by 10 o'clock at night. I, I hate that sort of thing.
3: I love working third shift. I work third shift. I usually, even in my last job, I worked third shift. And it's just... I love it. I feel like management's not there to like look yeah. at me, and it's just more relaxed and calm, and and kind of like what you were saying about how you like to do things during the night. I like nobody. Like I just, I get to kind of do whatever I want. You know, like nobody's
1: texting me, nobody's bothering me. It's just, it's nice. See, that's why I like second shift because I get I get most of that, not all of it, because I usually go to bed around you know five o'clock in the morning or whatever. But I do get that where no one's bothering me and all of that. I'm just not at work during it. Yeah. But having a hot shower, catching up on the news and making the bed are also other actions done first thing in the morning to get ready for the day. I don't understand. Do either of you make your bed when you like first wake up? No. Like, Matt do, makes the bed. <laughs> people, people actually do this then? Because I, I don't think I've ever met an adult that woke up and was like, all right, got my day started, time to make up my bed. Like, why? You're just going to go back to sleep in it in 15 hours. Ian always
2: makes our bed, like, before we get in it at night. And that doesn't I don't make even, sense. Well, he makes it like, you know, set, sets it up to yeah, where Yeah, to like stretch or, it out. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? It's it's in the right p- proportions. He doesn't like fold things or push things under or anything like that. But um, me, before I met him, I would just climb into my... Blankets, unravel them and get them yeah, on me. That's, some what, that's form. what I
3: do. And, and Matt's always like, "Oh my gosh, you can't sleep like this!" And always has to straighten them out. And I'm like, "No, just you know, it's whatever. Just it's fine."
2: Ian's always saying, "Like Bonnie, you don't have enough blankets," and like giving me more blankets. But I would just <laughs> cute. suffer through that in the night.
1: And in the UK, it seems they they may be feeling this a little bit more than they are in the United States. I don't know. The study was done on people in the United Kingdom. It was 2,000 British adults, and it found that one in six people feel stressed the moment they wake up. You know what? I think I might feel stressed if I lived in the UK. <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean,
3: yeah. I, but I'm sure I'm sure one in six Americans are stressed, too. Just, like, interacting with people, people seem stressed out. Yeah, the first people know?
2: I thought of were my parents. Like, maybe not anymore now that my dad's retired, and they're just kind of... Chilling with, you know, doing whatever they want every day, but when we were all kids, and my mom had a whole bunch of kids, and my dad was going to work, like, re- like really early every day, Yeah, he- they probably were stressed out as soon as they woke up.
1: That's sad. I-, I can't imagine living life like that. I mean, there have certainly been times in my life that I was more stressed out than others, but... Like, even now where, you know, I'm effectively working two jobs and I have a federal indictment hanging over me and, you know, federal sentencing in just over two months, I'm not overly stressed out. I I don't wake up stressed at all.
3: Well, it's a mindset, clearly. So if you're going through all that, I mean, that's some heavy stuff. And I think most people probably don't have to deal with, you know, people are just dealing with work and family stress. So if you have those things going on and you don't appear to be stressed, I think it must be a mindset where people are just unable to like filter through stuff and process their feelings and their emotions and their thoughts.
2: Well, one thing that is really interesting that you brought this up is today I was learning, I was listening to a podcast that talks about like lots of stuff. But one of the things that he's talking about right now is just like the different parts of the brain and what they do and how people get imbalanced. And basically, a lot of people are like your lowest part of like literal height wise, like where your it attaches to your neck of your brain. Yeah, is like your brainstem. The R complex, where where it attaches to your brainstem, is the R complex. That's like what you mean the
1: lowest part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Okay,
2: that is what our animals have. Basically, it's really similar to a reptilian brain, and that just that's without that you couldn't have your motor functions and and things like that. Just anything an animal can do, basically, and then your higher level thinking is all above that. And lots of people end up, like, on an EKG scan. The rest of the parts of their brains are dark, and that's the only part really lit up. Not most people, but a lot of people, because they're just, um, you know, chronically imbalanced in the brain. That part of the brain is the part that if you're stressed out, it literally sends signals to your body to pump blood away from the brain and into the arms and legs. So your brain is chronically under nourished with blood. And yeah, a lot of people just live in that condition.
1: I'm not terribly surprised to hear it. You know, thinking is not something the average person... And I don't want to sound arrogant about this, but the average person doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about things. They, they just sort of live and do. And this is why... And want and buy. Yeah, this is why Conan uses the term NPC. I don't like the term NPC because it's it sort of... Is, Suggests that there's something that's permanently different between you know us and everyone else. I don't think that's it. I think it's just they have fallen into some some sort of rut, some sort of trap that we happened to avoid. And this trap has them focused so much on Facebook and the Office and Game of Thrones and whatever else that. That's the most they're living is through these television shows where it, as we are actually putting thought into our lives and what we're doing and what our goals are. But, you know, I, I'm sure they would sort of say the same thing. I, I don't know whether or not it's true or if I'm just, you know, I feel like they're not really living their lives because I'm the one making that assessment. Well, they would make the same assessment toward me. I don't know. Apparently, the average alarm in the United Kingdom is set for 7.10 a.m. each morning on a work day. And that's an early start. So why make it harder than it needs to be, says James Hem- James Hemmings, who works at some, the, the company who commissioned the study, basically. 7.10 in the morning. It sounds late. I would think
3: people that are working during the day would get up earlier than that.
1: Really? I Well, would've... doesn't work usually start at like 7 or 8? Uh, that's true. I, I I think most people would start work at like nine in the morning. I think most like the nine mm. to five thing. Yeah, I guess is what they call it. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess then you would be waking up at seven. I there are days when I go to bed at seven though. I just, to wake up that yeah. early. That's horrifying. I used I, to have
2: to be at work at seven. And wait, no, I had to be at work at like six thirty. And it was like an hour away because I didn't live inside San Antonio yet. And I was waking up at like 5.30 every day. Nope. And that just the getting up and getting dressed part was horrible. But then once I was awake, I loved being awake that early. And leaving work at 3 and having the rest of the day, I love that. But the actual waking up part is very hard.
1: We know from our research that waking up the right way can have a huge impact on your day ahead, which is why we commissioned the British Academy of Sound Therapy. And rapper dialect. What? What does that mean? To, it's a rapper named Dialect oh. Oh. to help us create the best alarm sound yet. And it's it's at that point that you think this may be turning into a paid advertisement for some sort of new alarm system, but it's actually not. Believe it or not, it's very just a very strange thing for them to throw into this article
2: yeah i thought you meant just like we used the rapper dialect like the way that rappers
1: speak well i mean it's unclear exactly what they meant but it looks like what they're saying is that there is some rapper named dialect and he helped the british academy of sound therapy create the best alarm sound yet now I prefer not to set an alarm if I can help it. I'm going to wake up after after I've had enough sleep, and my body knows when that is. So if I go to sleep at 4 or 5 in the morning, I'm usually going to wake up somewhere between 10 and noon. I don't know exactly when, and it's going to vary from day to day based on exactly how much sleep I need on a given time. But there's no need for me to set an alarm for you know twelve thirty in the afternoon because I'm going to be awake by then anyway. But that said, I'm not on a schedule where I have to wake up and you know immediately go to work. I I don't want that sort of schedule. Some people do, like you mentioned. You know, some people want to go to work and get it over with, and then they have their entire day. I prefer to have part of my day before work, and then you know do the work thing, and then I have the entire night to myself. But Everyone has different things.
2: This is all why I started doing Uber Eats. Like, I hated being confined to certain times of the day, not being allowed to do something at certain times of the day. Oh, I'm working at that time. So even whenever I would get a job because I'd be like, oh, maybe I should have a real job. I would just always quit and go back to doing Uber Eats because I hated being like, oh, I can't hang out Friday. I have to work that day.
1: I would suggest to people who struggle to get out of bed, get a dog. If you actually have the sense of responsibility to take care of said dog, I suppose there's some people who are like, "No, screw that dog. I'm just gonna just lay gonna here for sleeping. an hour anyway." Yeah. What? Yeah. The, it's not even sleeping because I couldn't. I could never go back to sleep. I, I just wanted to lay there and be lazy before I get my day started. Lazy is not the right word, but relax. Yeah, I would just like to lay there before I get my day started.
2: I would. You know, I was thinking I used to be like this, but it was only when I was like in high school, and I absolutely. With all like my cells and my being didn't want to get up and go to high school or middle school, probably even. Well, school sucks. That's when I would just lay there. But
1: that's a different thing entirely, right? I I don't want to get up and you know go play guitar or whatever. That's very different from not wanting to get up and go. You know, spend seven hours at school.
3: Right? It's like oh, I'm so excited to wake up and go to prison all day. Yeah.
1: That said, more than. More than half, 54% truly want to function better in the mornings. I would just rather sleep better in the mornings. Interestingly, 32% of respondents claim they can train their body to require less sleep than the recommended hours suggest. And this is sort of what I did. I don't know if I meant to do it or not, but it was just something I did all the way back in high school where I would stay up late and then usually until midnight or one. And then I'd have to wake up at six o'clock for school to get ready for school. And eventually I just sort of got used to it. And now six to seven hours of sleep is really all I need. More than that is good, but it's not like I actually need more than that.
2: I I feel like if I sleep more than I need to, which is why I have to set an alarm, then I feel like it's counterproductive. I don't feel more rested because I slept more. I feel groggy all throughout the day and it never goes away.
3: I think that is a thing where if you oversleep, it'll make you feel more tired. I have no clue what the science is behind that, but I have heard that before. And I I, I agree with you. You know, I feel the same way.
1: As the study also finds that after battling through the morning, 69% of adults experience a dip in energy around three o'clock in the afternoon. See, I don't experience that. I do experience being tired after I eat. And that's become such a giant pain for me lately that like, I mean, because of how my schedule is, I end up eating and it's like two hours before work or whatever that I finally get around to eating. And it's like, then I want to take a nap, but I can't take a nap because in, you know, in half an hour I have to start getting ready for work and an hour I have to leave for work or whatever it is. It's bad timing, and I don't know how to fix that. I don't want to be tired after I eat. Well,
3: maybe. So, for me at least, if I eat, I don't want to call it overeating, but if I eat like a full meal, then sometimes, like if I feel really full in my stomach, I get tired. But if I just snack throughout the day, which is kind of what I do because working night shift, I snack and I drink coffee and water and stuff and it makes me feel more alert but if i were to eat like a full meal in the middle of the night or even in the middle of the day i would get tired and want to take a nap
2: yeah because your body is like focusing on digesting and i'm not saying that that's what you're doing but that is what i've noticed too if i just eat like little snacks all throughout the day i'd never get tired from eating but i sometimes like i'm just eating out or something and i'm eating something that's really good and i just don't stop myself because it's so good and then i regret it for like two whole hours
4: i just wanted to weigh in on the uh Waking up Uh, stressed—that's something I've experienced a lot of, and it's—it's something I honestly—I've only talked to a few people about, Um, and I've met few other people who really, really wake up feeling like immediately freaked out by life. Hmm. Now there are
1: periods uh, where, like, I—this has not been much of an issue over the last, you know, seven or eight years, but previously there. It was almost like I was traumatized by sleep or I was yep. terrified of being asleep, where if I was yep. about to fall asleep, I would suddenly wake up and my heart would be pounding and I would be freaked out and all of that stuff. But that that's not what they're talking about here, I don't think.
2: I experienced that when no, I was... A- absolutely. When I was in a car accident and then I had to be on Keppra, which is like a, a medicine, it's anti-seizure medicine, and lots of people have crazy side effects. Anytime I'd fall asleep, I'd wake right back up because I was like afraid I was going to die in my sleep and oh my just goodness. like having really delusional thoughts. But never just in waking life. Do you, mm-hmm. you experience that every day, Ben?
4: Um, Pretty much, yeah. Every, every time I wake up, every time I wake up, I it's hard to describe, but I'm immediately kind of thrust into this headspace where I'm totally freaked out. Well, we all get traumatized for different reasons, but trauma essentially just means wound, I believe. And we all get wounded in life. And if we don't have ways, we don't have systems that we're plugged into that allow us to deal with it and process it, it gets internalized. And when it gets internalized, we have stress hormones, cortisol, and adrenaline that get kind of on this auto sort of, this, this, they're just they're automatically produced. You don't even have to think about it. You're just, you can get locked into essentially PTSD.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And when that happens, you have a very hard time kind of getting your nervous system out of, um, out of that state where it's producing stress hormones all the time. So, you know, if it's so hardwired to do that, uh, when you wake up, it's it's your brain has just been so, uh, you know. There's like a road map. There's there's all these paved pathways in the brain that just get that just get triggered basically.
2: If your brain um, wants to take the path in, in through the neurons that it's most used to, and it's lots of work to create a new pattern or path, so you'll just continue repeating that. Well, one of the things that I can say that has been a thing that uh, throughout history people use to deal with this kind of thing but we don't have access to you as easily anymore as psychedelics and i think that's on yeah. purpose
4: uh, I, I completely agree with you there i mean me personally i've benefited a lot from them and of course they need to be used carefully and in the right settings setting setting of course as they say but um yeah they can be very very beneficial and i think that is because they essentially force you to confront kind of your deepest fears, which for most of us, to get back to what Aria was saying, for most of us, whether we're conscious of it or not, our deepest fear is probably death and the unknown. So when you take psychedelics, you kind of start thinking about those things. And that allows you to kind of transcend your normal everyday human experience. And, and, you know, that's why psychedelics allow people to kind of connect on a deep level with other people and, and with nature as a whole, because, you realize you're just you're an energy force that's occupying a, a body, basically, and that that energy exists in all things. At least that's what I believe. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Psychedelics can be very helpful. I mean, clearly the research shows
1: that. Yeah, think? but they're not they're not a cure all by any means, and you know there's yeah, still a there's still a lot of work that a person is going to have to do. They can't just eat some magic mushrooms and like, hey, look at me, I'm not traumatized anymore, or anything like that. So. That yep. psychedelics are a medicine but they're not they're not in of themselves a cure for anything in particular the I mean, next
2: time I do psychedelics I really want to do it with like a I don't know a clinic or something that will do a I forget the integration phase like afterwards because one of the things that it's so funny he brought up like death I guess it's a very common theme to experience during a psychedelic trip is like I was just enjoying myself I was on mushrooms and I was like, "Oh, I bet I look really pretty right now because I feel really good." So I'm going to look in the mirror, and what I saw was just—I don't know how to explain it. What I saw was a dead body.
1: Bonnie, you have a story about the FBI and uh, mass shootings, and this is a story that we've heard repeatedly. Oh, I mean, let me back up a bit. We've—we as libertarians know that the way you stop a mass shooter is with a is with a gun, and it doesn't matter to me if the person stopping the mass shooter is a police officer or not. Either way, you have to get someone there on the scene who has a gun and who can shoot the bad guy. Because the bad guy has a gun. You can't attack them with a knife or throw a ninja star at them or whatever. You, you have to counter them with an equal amount of force, generally. And the problem with the police is that they have to travel there. And police, even when they're not cowards like we saw in Uvalde, they still take 30 to 40 minutes to even get to where this stuff is happening. And a lot of people can be executed in cold blood in 40 minutes. With an armed citizenry, there's already someone there on site who can take out that armed shooter.
2: And another thing that we've talked about on the show multiple times before is It's just speculating, but it is also common sense to speculate that the number of shootings that were thwarted by armed citizens has to be, um, you know, not really that uh, well taken into consideration because how do you count something that didn't happen? Or why would people spend the time to count something that didn't happen? But apparently the FBI does do just that.
1: Well, it would definitely be tricky, right? Like, you have to know that, you know, person A pulls out their gun and they're going to execute, they're going to murder, you know, 10 people or whatever, but person B happens to be there and he puts that, he ends that before it even begins. I'm not surprised that this wouldn't count as, you know, someone stopping a mass shooting because at that point there was no mass shooting, there was just... Someone drew a gun and was probably going to do something violent. And if you're person B in this scenario, person B again was the person who stopped the shooting before it started. Person B is probably going to prison for murder in this particular scenario. So the sad thing is about American society is you almost have to wait until the mass shooting is going on before you put a stop to it. Otherwise, you're going to end up being considered the aggressive. Well, that person didn't kill anyone, but you killed them. So it's it's a messy situation. So tell us about this story.
2: Well, the FBI does count how many people have thwarted active shooting. But surprise, surprise, it turns out that um, they significantly undercounted the number of times that that happened. According to a new report from the Crime Prevention Research Center, the FBI's official data contains massive errors when it comes to tracking active shooting incidents. It says the way that it goes is minimizing the life-saving actions of armed citizens. Uh, re- that's how the report provided to Fox um, by author and CPRC founder, John Lott. CPRC, again, was the Crime Prevention Research Center.
1: Thank you. I'd already forgotten what that was. Yeah
2: says data released by the nonprofit shows that 34.4% of active shootings were thwarted by armed citizens between 2014 and 2021. Oh, However,
1: wow. one in 3 that's that's shocking. So that and is, shocking. is that
2: like no
3: one gets hurt besides obviously the perpetrator or it's could it also be counted if maybe they shot a couple people and then someone stopped them in the act?
2: I don't know. I kinda wish that they used uh other things other than just the word thwarted every time they said that because yeah. they haven't really um defined that yet. It says, however, FBI data shows only four point four percent of active shootings were thwarted by armed citizens during that time. So still four percent is really off. good.
1: Like even the most anti gun person has to hear four percent and say, look, you know, That's people whose lives were literally saved as a result of these peaceful citizens being armed. I don't know how anyone can object to that. I mean, I do know how because they don't live in a world of reason and facts and things like that. And they think that if they just feel a thing strong enough, then that Hmm. will make it true.
2: Guns are just bad and make me scared. Well, and it's just crazy that they literally lied about 30%.
1: Well, yeah, it's the government, though. That's what they do. They lie about numbers, and then they they reinterpret the numbers, and they define things, and they create mathematical equations that are all used to benefit them. So they probably defined thwarting as zero zero people killed or wounded or whatever, other than the the hypothetical shooter themselves. And that's probably a threshold that only four percent managed to meet. Yeah, probably
2: it says whether deliberately. Through bias or just incompetence, the FBI database of active shooters cannot be trusted, said Gary Mausner, an emeritus professor at Simon Fraser University in Canada.
1: It seems of... like it's most likely to be all of them, like a lot of incompetence, certainly. Mm. Thwarting a mass shooting is a good thing. We always hear about the FBI thwarting terror plots, right? that That's the terminology that gets bandied about all the time. But the FBI, more often than not, is causing these terror plots in the first place, and it turns out to be, oh look, it was the FBI all along who they they thwarted their own terror plot. Yeah, it's Yay, like Scooby Heroes. Doo yeah. where they
3: pull the mask off. Oh, it was the FBI the whole time. The
1: whole time. That's what we saw with the Whitmer kidnapping nonsense as well. It was like, oh, so nine out of the ten, nine out of ten people here were FBI, and the the other guy was just a stoner who you kept feeding pot and into and finally he agreed to do this with thing your nonsense okay yeah i mean that's the fbi right that that same institution the very same is the one saying guys we we don't know what's going on but as far as we can tell only only four percent of the time do americans actually manage to stop to thwart mass shooters <laughs> And in reality, the number is closer to 34 percent.
3: I bet the, the amount of police that thwart mass shootings is way less than 30 percent.
1: Certainly, you know, well, I mean, ultimately, all the mass shootings come to an end. And it's, yeah. it's always because you get someone else there who has a gun who either shoots the guy or the perpetrator shoots himself. I, I think that's a, a way that yeah, a lot it's of people Yeah, pretty common, ended. I
3: think, yeah.
1: That was the way the one in Vegas ended, if I recall correctly.
3: I just don't get it. It's like, can't you just kill yourself and leave everybody else out of it? Like, why do you have to go on a rampage and murder a bunch of innocent people?
1: Because MK Ultra is yeah, there. a bunch of patsies. I don't know what else to think. It is such a weird thing. Like, okay, look, you want to kill yourself. I'm not going to stop you. And, you know, there's, if you want to if you legitimately want to kill yourself there's probably a good enough reason for me to say you know what go ahead man you know you do you and it's your life right it's not mine that's my whole issue with society taking this approach that you know society you can't do that that's illegal i mean society is legitimately illegal i mean suicide is yep. legitimately illegal Which in the united states that's the crazy. dumbest thing i've ever heard
2: just how do you enforce that they're dead
3: You can't, but there are ways of punishing the family after when it comes Hmm. to like life insurance and things like that. Well, and a lot of these people are on SSRIs and other psych meds that literally have the side effect listed on, you know, on the bottle or whatever, homicidal thoughts, suicidal thoughts. So I'm not very surprised that people that are on these psych meds are losing their minds and going and trying to kill a bunch of people because that is literally a side effect of the medications.
1: That was always so strange to me when you hear these commercials for, you know ssris or you know depression, depression medications or whatever stop using and you know call your doctor if you experience pseudo- suicidal thoughts is it the point of this crap to stop the suicidal thoughts yeah, are you like, kidding
3: me oh you're depressed well take this or it'll just, make
2: you more depressed or just like it's a medication for something else but it's like wouldn't the desire to kill people be something that makes your life worse than this other thing that you're trying to fix
3: Well, and you would think that that would be like the worst case of all is either killing yourself or killing somebody else. So you think, you know, no matter what the medication is, if that is even a possible side effect, even if there is the slimmest chance, it would not be worth it to even give it to a single person.
1: That's a really, how how does a medication that could cause you to want to go on a freaking killing spree, how does that get FDA approval? It's like, look, it's fine. It's going to make most people feel better, but like for every every so often it just makes people go on a killing spree And we, we don't know it just seems to happen the fda's like you know what that checks out we're going to approve this How, and it's because the fda obviously is bought and sold and if you go if you just google fda corruption or drug company corruption or pharmaceutical company corruption there's countless examples of this prior to covid-19
5: Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases, and legislation is now available for... For veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government, there may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037.
1: The United States military isn't any better than any of the militaries uh, around the world. Right? Surprise, surprise. I mean, we're constantly uh, running ads for Camp Lejeune, which is, I, th- I think it was a boot camp. I'm not entirely sure. It had something to do with the military, though, where they basically gave people what, poisonous water, or from what I could tell, over the course of 50 years or whatever. What was it, North Carolina. I don't remember exactly where it was, but it it was the U.S. military. They they do shady things. And one of the more shady things they've been doing recently is the people in Hawaii evidently have discovered jet fuel in their water. And yeah. is, what is jet fuel chemically? It's,
3: well, it's like uh, must be some sort of gasoline product. I don't know. I mean, I would assume that's what jets run on. I just know it it's doesn't... It's like a strong, stronger... Um, it's like a higher octane gasoline.
1: I don't know. I, I've never given it any thought whatsoever. I mean... Because it...
3: I know some people who used to put, like, jet fuel in their cars to make them go faster. Wow. Do,
1: does that work?
3: Yeah, it's really expensive. Does it break but your just, car? Well, it, I guess it depends. <laughs> I mean, I guess not, because they were doing it, but, it, like, race car fuel is higher octane
1: so that's the difference okay see i thought it was hydrogen but it's not uh, that that could happen in the future so that that's why i was curious so it's not hydrogen that they're using it is evidently it is just leaded gasoline higher octane all of this stuff i remember the episode of family guy where peter had the brilliant idea to fill, fill up his truck with jet fuel and he yeah. thought that this would allow him to fly because he's Peter Griffin. i missed that show, (laughs) especially those older seasons, man, where where they did crap like that. This is so stupid. (laughs) Good show. Or at least it used to be. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but fond memories of it at the very least. So anyway, evidently, yes, it's gasoline and Hawaiians are now finding it in their water.
3: Yeah. So apparently you're not supposed to drink gasoline and it makes you sick.
1: Apparently, oh, the U.S. I Navy should take
3: a note didn't that. know that. <laughs> so a lawsuit alleges that the Navy harbored toxic secrets after jet fuel leaked from a storage facility in Hawaii operated by the Navy, contaminating locals' drinking water and sickening hundreds of families.
1: That sounds exactly like the U.S. military, too. They have yep. a leak, and it's poisoning people, making them sick. What did they do? They covered it up. It. Yep. <laughs> Instead of addressing the problem and fixing it by, hey, guys, this is, a, this is a problem. We're sorry. Stop drinking the water.
2: Dugway Proving Ground is also a place that made the news in, I think, like 2013 or something because somebody accidentally sent anthrax out in the mail from, that worked what? out there. How do you accidentally do that? I don't know, but the was colonel the, got fired.
1: Was this the big anthrax scare? Where, no, that it was, th- like that on was the news. earlier than 2013. The big one where everyone was freaking out. Yeah. That was that was around 2001. Yeah, was I think it was September, early 2000s. Yeah. Man, crazy! I'm gonna have to read more about that. I've never, never heard about it. I guess it's not so. I just always assumed that the United States military outsourced the biological and chemical research, research to you know, company to countries like Ukraine and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Mm. all of these other countries, the same countries that it outsources its torture to. And, you know, it's black site prisons. I just assumed they were also the ones like Ukraine has a biological or a chemical weapons research facility partnered with the United States. And yep. it's, it's to combat bioterrorism oh, sure. or whatever,
3: right? Like, yeah. Because that makes sense.
1: But then there's also things like uh, Plum Island here in the United States, which is almost certainly a chemical weapons. Where is it? Uh, Plum Island, It's off the coast somewhere, I think, of Pennsylvania. Mm. I'm not 100% mm. sure. It's here in the Northeast, though, and there's very compelling evidence to suggest that Lyme disease originated there. Really? And that's why Lyme disease is so much more prominent in the Northeast versus other parts of the... Like, if you were to look at it as the epicenter, it it tracks what you would expect the growth to be of Lyme disease throughout the United States, if it was centered on Plum Island. Dang, I never heard of that. Neither. Neither. I, I think it was one of Jesse Ventura's uh, little episodes about it. Some of the stuff he did was good. Some of it was like, oh, okay, you need to get away from Alex Jones. Is yeah.
2: Plum Island like a military base too?
1: I don't recall. Hmm. This was like 2006 that I would have been reading and learning about this stuff.
3: I feel like there's a Plum Island off the coast of either Massachusetts
1: or New um, It could New be, New like I said, it's here in the Northeast. I don't think yeah. it was New this Hampshire. Is Plum
2: I mean, no, sorry, this is lime country.
1: It is. All of the Northeast is, and evidence suggests, it doesn't prove, but evidence suggests that it's because Lyme disease Mm -hmm. originated at at, at an outbreak uh, from Plum Island, just like COVID-19, almost certainly, or I don't want to say almost certainly, but evidence suggests that it originated with an outbreak from the Wuhan laboratory.
3: Army Major Amanda Feint, whose family is suing, told ABC News, you've got American citizens being poisoned by an American asset on American soil. So she's
1: clearly not very happy about this.
2: Yeah, but that's, I mean, it's true. That's what you got.
1: Are Hawaiian, okay, I guess they are American citizens. Yeah. I didn't think they considered themselves American citizens, though. No, I don't it's think a state, it's, you know.
2: I think most of them don't want to be, but, yep, right. they're a state. I mean, yeah.
1: whether they want to be or not, you're right, they, they are, and they are being poisoned by their government on... Their own soil. That's pretty screwed up. So in November of
3: 2021, health officials and the Navy ordered residents of Pearl Harbor and the surrounding area to stop using tap water after dangerous levels of petroleum products were found in the Navy's joint base Pearl Harbor uh, Hickam
1: water system. Hmm. So the government did tell them to stop drinking the water?
3: Yeah. So it doesn't sound like they covered it up if they... I mean, maybe they did somewhere
1: down the line. I don't... Well, that that doesn't claim responsibility yeah, for Yeah, that that's true. But it's at least a, a good step, right? I mean, in some places, you know, the yeah, water's at least flammable.
3: They, well, yeah, and at least they weren't just like, well, we're just gonna let people keep drinking
1: it, you know.
2: Well what do you do if you can't drink the the water supply? Like you just have to order it from another place? I, I mean
1: I, I assume you drink bottled water.
3: Yeah, but you wouldn't want to shower in that water or anything, hmm. you know, if it's oh, true. If it's contaminated with, you know, jet fuel,
1: (laughs) that's terrible. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do anything with it.
3: But like you said, there are other places in the United States right now that also have contaminated water and have for a long time. So this isn't a new thing in the United States.
1: To say nothing of Flint, Michigan, which is still dealing with the same nonsense of having undrinkable water. There was also one recently in Jackson, Mississippi, where they had undrinkable water. It's... Surprisingly common. It's way more common than it should be.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the source was pinpointed back to the jet fuel leak from the nearby Red Hill bulk fuel storage facility. Hundreds of families reported petroleum odors coming from residential tap water supplied by the Navy water system, alongside reports of health issues caused by the contaminated drinking water.
1: So they were like pouring a glass of water. Wow, this smells like gasoline.
3: Wow. Apparently, and they people were getting sick from it. Wow. You know, it only takes drinking so much gas to get sick. I can't
1: believe anyone was drinking
3: it. Activists are calling on the Navy to take action almost a year after the Hawaii Department of Health issued an emergency order against the military agency to address the closure and defueling of Red Hill facility. So it didn't really... I'm assuming Red Hill Facility is uh, a Navy-run fuel facility. I'm sure. If the Navy has committed to closing the facility, they need to move with the sense of urgency as the native people of Hawaii feel they must. And you know, I'm not surprised that this is... It's not the first time that the U.S. military has done unthinkable things to native people so i'm not surprised that it's native hawaiian people that are being affected
1: by this happy indigenous people's day
2: (laughs) yeah right the craziest thing is that this happened over a year ago and we heard about mississippi the day of you know and we just haven't heard anything i hadn't heard anything about this it doesn't seem like something that gets talked about a lot that's
1: a good point. No, I hadn't heard anything about this prior no, to No, I haven't
2: either. And this is a year
3: later. I mean, it's October of 2022, and this happened in November of 2021. Hmm. And this wasn't even in the news until, I mean, it might have been when it first happened, but ABC News definitely didn't cover it until recently. So
1: so is this story from November of
3: 2021? No, is there, this, this is, is... from, um, it might have been the end of August, okay. this story is
1: from. So it's got up to date information, and in it. it's basically yeah. what I was wondering. So, yeah, not so a whole lot has been done on no. this front. It's just there's, well,
3: the lawsuit—that's really the only thing. But the families had to take it upon themselves to sue the U.S. Navy.
1: And presumably, is have they even cleaned the drinking water, or is there still jet fuel um, leaking into it? Because that's going to be ass- expensive, right?
3: I'm assuming, but then it said some people are still in temporary housing. So it's it doesn't really specify whether this is an ongoing issue. I, I'm assuming that they they took care of it rather quickly, <laughs> but maybe I shouldn't assume that.
1: Uh, it would be hard to assume that, except you know, jet fuel is expensive. In addition to mm-hmm. not melting chip uh, steel beams, it is expensive. Yeah, and if it's leaking, those are
2: what I know about it. I'm sorry, that's what I know about it. Yes,
1: and if it's leaking into the drinking water, then that's just a net loss for the. The U.S. government and the military, they don't care about people. Never mind. They don't care about money either because they can just print it. So never mind. I don't know what I was going to say, but they do care about losing money, but they don't because they can just print infinite amounts of it. Well, they do care about oil, though, and gasoline. They love that crap. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe they care enough about oil and gasoline to do something about this leak.
2: Well, apparently the leak in the Gulf of Mexico that was like a really big deal in like 2010- just says not stops leaking. I just learned that recently. I didn't. Uh, know yeah, it. I
3: think I've heard that. The big BP That's so leak. crazy. Yep, it's still
2: leaking. Yes, just never stopped. It just stopped getting news. It's you know the, you know twenty four hour news cycle.
0: Back in twenty thirteen, uh, Ian and I and Daryl Perry and a few other activists uh, were able to, for the first time, sort of strike at the root a little bit, uh, because a Federal Reserve person came to uh, New Hampshire and we were able to confront them on camera and stuff as they were going into this. You know, like for, for many of us, it felt, for me at least, it felt like the first time. Like you know, Usually you feel like you're kind of hacking at the branches, but this is a Federal Reserve person, the root of all our problems.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what sort of nice Federal feel Reserve to, person? Was it was it?
0: nice to be able to question them. I don't remember the details. Again, it was nine years ago. It was at St. Anselm's College at the Institute of Politics.
1: I mean, was it like uh, a Ben and, Bernanke or a Janet Yellen kind of person? Or was it like a, this person is a supervisor at one of the branches or whatever?
0: I would say he was being considered an official, but he wasn't like a, you know, he wasn't a grunt. Okay. So somewhere, yeah. okay.
2: St. Anselm, that's in Keene, right?
0: That was it. I'm sorry, what?
2: St. Anselm, is that in Keene?
0: Oh, no, it's in Manchester. Oh, okay. Well, I think Gosden, technically, uh, somewhere between well, maybe between Manchester and Gosden, but anyway, that's about to happen again, actually, uh, and there's going to be a Federal Reserve peace person at the same exact spot uh, on October 21st, uh, and uh, this time, what's different is that uh, a free stater has welcomed them to the state. Essentially, uh, I, I'm not sure. Welcome to maybe I'm going on memory here, as I don't have the exact quote. But Jason Soren is the founder of the Free State Project who works at St. Anselm's posted a message on Twitter uh, saying that he was very excited to have her visit uh, St Anselm's College
1: uh, Did't Jason I Soren's um, like turn against the free State project am, am I remembering correctly? He's more like he's turned against the idea of New Hampshire independence hmm. Oh okay okay maybe yeah. that's what I was thinking then okay.
0: Uh, you know, and I consider Jason a friend, but I wish that he was not so welcoming. <laughs> I mean, you know, you want to be physically welcoming and everything, but I, I think, I, I mean, I would be excited about such a person visiting, and I'd be excited about the possibility of asking them nasty questions. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, tell us more about these wars that you helped start. And and the uh, the other thing is, she's coming here, She's she works for this inflationist organization, um, which she's on the, she's like with the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Um, she works. She works with inflationist organization, and she's coming to help talk to us about oh, why housing prices are going up.
6: I really don't like voting. I, I don't. It's, a, it's, a, it's a pain in the butt. But it's a. It, I sometimes I just feel. But I mean, like I. I mean, if I don't vote, what are the the lazy dumb people of Albuquerque gonna do? See that vote. I <laughs> I they're gonna to vote, vote, Sarah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, how many are they going to get really go out there and really do it? I mean, my vote counts even more. See, that's why does why your vote that, count more? Okay, the reason is the lower, the less people vote, you'll count ways more.
1: Okay, so, so you want fewer people to vote? You don't want to get out the vote. You want fewer people to vote.
6: No, I want as much. I want to get people out to vote so you'll have an honest election. Okay, so, so you don't I want your to vote to
1: matter, vote. right?
6: Well, I mean, the thing is that more people. Well, the thing is, I mean,
1: I, I, but the thing is, the thing is that most most the, What is the thing, Sarah? Do enlighten me. What is the thing? Do you want your vote to matter okay. or not?
6: Well, if I want, I have to vote so that it matters because we every election is a very close election. I mean, a lot of the. Uh, I mean, not a lot of the things are just uh, won by a couple of.
1: Thank you so much for the call tonight, Sarah. Give us a call tomorrow night. Hopefully, you'll be able to complete an entire sentence. I think
2: uh, you broke her.
7: I listened to the podcast. So I was listening to the one from last night. And I heard Arya say that she supports the greater Idaho movement. And I just want to know why. Because to me, it's not at all the same as like what you guys are doing in New Hampshire. It's uh. Like, I'm really against it. So, I want to know why you
1: guys support it. Uh, I don't. What uh, is that? What is the Greater Idaho Movement? I, I hate saying it's that funny. if I said I supported it last night, but I, I don't well, remember. Well, it's,
7: it's like a secessionist movement, I guess. Like, in a way, I wouldn't say that it is because it's kind of like people in the state of Idaho and people in the state of Oregon want to absolve part of like rural Oregon and have it be part of idaho because um because idaho because idaho is more similar to that like rural oregon area yeah
2: what's wrong with that if
7: people want that well people don't want that what i'm saying is if you want that why don't you move to idaho like i literally picked up my life and moved away from idaho to get away from it like i can't imagine having the audacity to think that i should just be absolved into another state because people are too lazy to kind of pick up and move like I did.
3: Well, and it is kind of strange. I just looked up the greater Idaho movement because I had never heard of that before. And it's just strange that they even want to do that, that they want to take over a part of Oregon.
7: I just don't really understand why. It's because, well, because I live here, like I moved from Idaho and there's a big difference between the Portland people and the rest of the state. Obviously, like the farming stuff, you know, it makes sense to me why maybe farmers wouldn't want to be part of Idaho. But uh, I moved here because I like weed and I wanted to grow weed. So why don't they move to Idaho?
1: I I don't know. And I don't recall weighing in, uh, If you ask me, this is the first time I've ever heard of the greater Idaho movement. I don't recall hearing about it previously. If if I said something that sounded like it supported, I may have in fact said something that supported it. I don't recall. Uh, it was likely based on something a caller told me about it. And I was just basing the assessment off of what that caller said. I I don't know. I mean, you you say I spoke out and supported this thing. I don't have any memory of this thing.
7: Well, you it, you were just talking about the different secessionist movements, and I just don't. Are you sure this was either. me? Well, maybe, maybe you were just quoting somebody and I misunderstood, Mm. but, um, I don't believe that the Idaho one is at all the same as what you guys are trying to do in New Hampshire, because it's a whole, it's a state trying to absolve me in my state in their state.
2: Annexation is definitely not the same as just like secession. That's really weird. Um, I've never heard of it personally, and I would say that if the people of Oregon mostly want to join idaho they should be free to but if like you're saying most people don't then that's weird that idaho would want to take it that's weird
1: the united nations general assembly voted on monday to reject russia's call for the 193 member body to hold a secret vote later this week on whether to condemn moscow's move to annex four partially occupied regions in ukraine Instead, the General Assembly, that's just what they call all of the nations in the United Nations, decided with 107 votes in favor that it would hold a public vote, not a secret ballot, on a draft resolution that condemns Russia's referendum and the, quote, attempted illegal annexation. So diplomats said the vote on the answer would likely be on Wednesday or Thursday. It doesn't look like it was today. So look for that tomorrow. I, I'm i interested, I'm legitimately interested to see the results of this. Where do countries within the United Nations actually stand on this? Because 107 of them wanted to make sure that the vote was public. And that's that's a shocking amount of courage that I don't expect from ambassadors and statists under most circumstances.
3: Well, I guess it sounds like they want to know what ev- like what the other countries mm. are oh, that- seeing. So they want to know who's on their side and who's not. No secrets.
1: That makes sense. Only 13 countries on Monday opposed holding a public vote on the draft resolution. Another 39 countries abstained, and the remaining countries, including Russia and China, did not vote. So Russia and China did not even vote on whether or not to have a public vote on this thing, but they, Russia did want a, a secret one. So very confusing. Russia had argued that Western lobbying meant that it may be tough if positions are expressed publicly. That's why Russia wanted them to be secret, evidently. During the meeting on Monday, Russia's UN ambassador, uh, Vasily Nabinzia, questioned the push to condemn Moscow. What does this have to do with peace and security or trying to settle conflicts? Said Nabinzia, describing it as yet one more step towards division and escalation, which I'm sure is not something the absolute majority of states in this room need. After the General Assembly decided on Monday that it would hold a public vote on the draft resolution, Russia immediately tried to get the body to reconsider the issue, but it overwhelmingly failed. So that's why at least Russia is saying they wanted it to be secret, because the United States exerts a lot of pressure. And if it finds out that, you know, Israel, for example, or Germany or whatever Western ally is in support of russia or doesn't vote to support russia or doesn't vote to condemn russia then they're an enemy of the united states Hmm. so that would be why
8: you just listened to the new extended free talk live daily digest we felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast if you subscribe to the daily digest or full episode rss feeds please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show, at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's Amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.